This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 271. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Steph. This is Ian. We're bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of March 31st through April 13th. We have a little bit of news to cover. We're going to switch a couple of things up here, but we do have two books to cover as uh, we go back to a normal coverage of books with Batman and Detective Comics. Um, but when we get to Greater Gotham, we're going to do something just a tad bit different. We're going to see how that works and see how you guys, the listeners, react to that. Um, but uh, in the meantime, let's jump straight into comic news. So the weekend uh, that we recorded the last podcast, uh, WonderCon was actually underway. And to be quite honest, there wasn't a ton of Batman news that had released out of the convention. Most of it was just celebrating Batman's 80th anniversary, and there was a massive, I guess you could call it a birthday party, um, with a number of people, uh, celebrities, I guess you could call them, some comic creators, but mostly celebrities um, that that were part of that. There was a there was a, a little bit of announcement, although it's not super related to specifically the comics, but Comic Con. The company that puts on Comic-Con International in San Diego, as well as the company that puts on WonderCon, um, which is in An- currently in Anaheim, that the, that organization is opening a, a museum called the Comic-Con Museum, and there is going to be a Hall of Fame, a character Hall of Fame that uh, will pay tribute to timeless characters that have shaped pop culture, as they've put it. Uh, Batman is actually going to be the very first character that is inducted into the uh, Character Hall of Fame, and the induction will take place on July 17th during the opening night of this year's San Diego Comic-Con. The event is meant to be kind of a fundraiser for this museum, I guess. Um, So I guess they decided to use Batman as their fundraising tool. I, I don't know exactly how you guys feel, but personally, as far as this Comic-Con Museum, I think it's an interesting idea, although I feel like we already have multiple pop culture museums all over the United States, and the company that's you know that puts on Comic-Con, while I appreciate the fact that they want to make Batman part of their character hall of fame i do find it just a tad bit odd that the this massive company that puts on these massive conventions is looking to fundraise to you know to open up their own museum so just my side of it in other news 
Uh, Detective Comics has a new logo. Um, as we review 1001, um, the logo is actually present on that issue. But the logo was de- debuted at WonderCon. And to be honest, I don't, I don't really have a problem with it. I don't really have a lot to say. Does anybody else have anything to say about this new logo? Well, if you didn't know that Detective Comics is a Batman book before, you will certainly know, you know that now. now. Yeah. <laughs> Brad Walker, the artist who's on the current arc, um, did a really awesome Twitter thread about the the logos of Detective Comics from the beginning to now. And it was just full of information. I would highly recommend checking out his Twitter thread um, for the logo analysis. He analyzed what he thought worked and what didn't work about all of them. And he ended by looking at the new one. I like the new one. Um, It's a little more cartoony uh, than the last one. The last one, which has been around for over a decade, was very serious looking, very dark looking. And... Um, it's kind of nice to have a sort of lighter approach. A lot of people, when it was first announced, mentioned that it looked like the logo for the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon and the associated comic books. And I think that's not necessarily bad. I'm still a little puzzled why they didn't do the redesign when Rebirth first, la- first launched. But uh, it's nice to have. It's, it's a cool-looking logo. It has uh, a bright and cheery aspect, but the colors will change that. I mean... I think Walker said it's going to change colors pretty much every um, every issue. So I I like the attention to detail that DC took, and then of course Brad Walker's thread in analyzing all of them. Yeah, and uh, I have to say I I, I kind I, I do like the the logo. Um, I like the idea of the colors being able to change depending on what is on the cover. I think that works. Um, the only the only question I have is, so when are they going to redo the Batman logo? Because <laughs> I am sick of that logo. Um, the Batman logo that they're currently using on Batman is the same logo that they used on Batman during the New 52. And I never really liked that logo. And when Rebirth happened, and some of the series that were, you know, launching out of Rebirth or, or just, you know, getting a new number one out of Rebirth, some of them got new logos and Batman was not one of them. And I was very disappointed by that. Cause I really, I just don't like that Batman logo. So I'm hoping that, I mean, like to be honest, it would be very easy for DC to turn this detective comics logo into a solo Batman logo too. just use the exact same outline and just take out the detective comics and fill in the space with bigger letters for Batman. Um, I prefer to see that over the current Batman logo, but also it just seems like it seems slightly trivial to not, not have a new logo when it gets a new number one. I just, I don't understand the, 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 the theory behind that. Um, the point of it, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. 1001 marks, you know, a kind of like a new chapter for detective comics. So giving it a new logo for the first time in over a decade is perfectly fine. I don't have a problem with that, but it does seem slightly strange how you can have an initiative of we're going to have a bunch of new number ones, but we're not going to change the logo on the book. I just, I find that a little bothersome and I I wish that uh, it would have changed back then. Obviously we can't go back in the future. So I'm hoping here, here very soon, maybe, well, it's not good. That's not going to be soon, but I was thinking maybe after Tom King's done with the book, maybe that's when we get a new logo. I don't know. I just, I would love to see Batman get a new logo. So, I was thinking the same thing. I think Tom King's, the end of Tom King's run is a perfect time for them to unveil a new 
uh, main Batman title logo. So I wouldn't be surprised um, if that happens. Um, All right. Has so, it always been Batman Detective Comics, or has it just been Detective Comics? Like, how how often do we specify that it's Batman in the logo or as the label? So, um, over the years, it's changed back and forth. Okay. It's been Batman in Detective Comics for a variety of different logos. It's been just Batman Detective Comics, and it has been just Detective Comics. To be honest, um, I don't think it's necessary to say Batman Detective Comics, but I know what DC's doing. They're just making sure the name Batman is on the cover at all times, so there's no confusion. Um, It does present just a tad bit of a problem, though, if Batman isn't actually in the issue. Like, and to be clear, this doesn't happen all that often, but, you know, back when Detective Comics had Batwoman in it for almost a year, no, a little over a year, the series did not have Batman in it, but the logo did not reflect that it didn't have Batman in the name. Mm. So um, I don't think it's necessary, but I, I, I understand why they're doing it is because they don't want the confusion of what is this comic book that has this massive name that also has this massive issue count of over a thousand issues. And, who is this in this book? I understand the the marketing aspect of it is as uh, trivial as it may seem, um, but I, I, I see where you're going with that. No, because it makes sense. I have some, you know, mild to mildly moderate comic book fans who have maybe heard of Detective Comics, but they don't know what it is, right? And they wouldn't know that Batman is in it because they're Bat- Batman fans, but not enough to realize, oh, Batman's in Detective Comics. So that makes sense. <sighs> All right, so next bit of news. April 5th, DC announced uh, last year when the Walmart's exclusive stories were announced for giant issues coming to Walmart, uh, a lot of fans asked the question, when would these stories make their way to comic shops? Is obviously tracking down the first major story uh, of Batman from Brian Michael Bendis could prove to be a little difficult if they're only available at a massive retailer. Even if Walmart is all over the place, it doesn't always mean that you're going to be able to find it. Comic stores can order something on demand based off of whether or not you want something. Uh, DC had mentioned a couple months back that uh, come up once back at a retailer summit that the story would be collected in some form during the summer. And now they have finally released details of what fans can actually expect. It was originally expected for the stories to be released in sort of, you know, trades, collecting everything. And I think at the time, the rumor was that they were going to be collected in trades in the fall, or at least the Batman and Superman was because they started later. Um, But as it turns out, starting in July, there is going to be a comic series, a mini series that's going to release called Batman Universe, because that is the title of the Brian Michael Bendis story. And it will kick off a six issue mini series that will collect two of the chapters from each of the Walmart Giants per issue. This means that the story will wrap up in the Walmart giant prior to releasing comic stores to ensure that the exclusivity of the deal with Walmart stays intact. This means that the new miniseries will wrap in December and likely be collected in early 2020 in trade. Um, We have the solicitation over on the site, which is basically just the solicitation for the first issue, which combines the first two chapters of the Walmart giant stories. Um, The first issue will hit stores on July 10th and will feature a new cover by Nick Darrington, who is the artist on the series as well. So, our listeners out there, I pose you this question. If you haven't picked up the story at Walmart or you haven't been able to find it, are you going to pick it up when it comes to the comic market? Be sure to leave your comments for that question 
because I want to try to do this for more of our news stories to guys kind of prompt you guys to give us more, uh, more, more things to discuss in the future. So um, I know Ian's been picking it up. Um, Ian, is this going to make you go pick it up again? No, I'm, I'm not double dipping. Um, I think there is a chance that I might get the trade collection of some of these. Uh, it's all going to depend on how it ends, of course, if it's got a good ending. But in terms of the these um, individual issues, they're going to do six-issue miniseries. I'll already have the content. Um, the price point at Walmart is $5. You get 12 pages, which is half of one of the issues. But you also get three complete comics uh, from different runs. Um, whereas you're getting two 12-issue comics, so 24 pages, which is a little longer than a normal comic. But it's not... So normal clear, comic, barely, barely longer, but yes. Right, it's two pages longer than a normal comic. So a normal comic is 22 pages for $4. These are 24 pages for $5. I don't think the extra two pages are worth $5, so I'm not going to double dip on this. Um, I think that a trade has the chance of having, you know, behind the scenes sketches or an interview with mm-hmm. the, or like a forward from the writer, um, you know, that bonus material you'll get in trades. So there's a chance I'll get that. But in terms of just getting the content, since I already have it, um, I don't, I don't really see a point uh, to double dipping. So if you're already getting the Walmart comics, unless you want to stop getting the Walmart comics and pick up where you leave off with these individual issues, that's what I would say is makes the most sense. Uh, if you haven't started Collectium, it'll all depend on whether you think this is a worthwhile price point for you. I agree. Um, to be honest, that price point is slightly troublesome. And I say that because really the only books that have been $5 are either books that are closer to 30 pages or some of the top tier titles like Snyder stuff. Um, not not Justice League, obviously, but like um, a mini series or something like that, or even some of the Black Label stuff. That stuff, I could see it being warranted f- for the more expensive because there could be less advertisements in some of those uh, editions that they release and things like that. I don't think that's going to be the case with this. I think it's going to be just like a normal comic, and it's going to be collected in a weird form. If you, if you haven't been keeping up, uh, Ian's been reviewing the Walmart Giants as they release. And to be honest, they, they very, very, very much feel like individual chapters, like the digital first series and the digital first series when collected don't always make sense when they are collected because it doesn't, they, cause well, one, they just flow together or they're, they're meant to flow together. But in some cases, some chapters have some sort of cliffhanger or some sort of moment. And you don't really get any sort of real transition when you combine them into a published, um, a published print. Um, so combining those digital chapters doesn't always seamlessly work. I've seen this happen with some of the Arkham tie-in series. Um, and honestly, some of the DC bombshells, uh, uh, issues they've released. They, the chapters don't always have anything to do. It's suddenly jarring because you have a different artist. And obviously that's not gonna be the case with this because Nick Darrington's doing the art for the entire series. But I do think it's, uh, Slightly odd, the price point, um, because it just it really doesn't make any sense. Um, if, I do want to say that Harrington's art is really gorgeous, and oftentimes I will have had a good time reading the story just because Darrington's on art. So it's definitely very high quality in terms of the art you're getting. And while I don't disagree with the fact that Darrington's art is really good, I do have a problem with 
the precedent that this sets because it basically says that this Bendit story is worth the top tier prices that DC has. And to be honest, based off of the, the chapters that have already released, I don't think that's necessarily true. So I would agree with that. Next I'll comment. tell you when it's all released, yeah. what the numbers are like. That's true. <laughs> It'll, it, and that will be interesting as well, because like Ian said, there, you know, for those people who have been picking up the Walmart giants, it's not necessarily something that they're going to double dip on. Um, obviously there's completists out there that will pick it up just because, um, I unfortunately am one of them, uh, but I, but I, but honestly, I haven't been picking up the Walmart giants. So I, because I, I don't have the opportunity to track them down, um, as easily as I'd like. So I would, I picked this up because it's a comic, it's a published comic, just like I picked up a lot of those digital first series that in some cases, like I said, didn't make a whole lot of sense combined, but, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how well it does. I mean, obviously it's a mini series. Obviously it's already done. They're not going to cancel it, but it will be interesting to see what what numbers it ends up actually getting, especially at that price point. So, all right. So next up, April 9th, uh, DC announced uh, when fans of Sean Murphy's Batman White Knight can expect to see the sequel that was announced back in September. Sean Murphy's next series will be part of the DC Black Label this time around as Batman White Knight was added to the Black Label after the fact, but released prior to the imprint being formed before. Batman Curse of the White Knight will debut this July. The eight-issue miniseries will release monthly. We have a first look of a lot of the art as well as the cover over on the site if you want to check that out as well as the solicitation. But the first issue will release in stores on July 24th. Um, and to be honest, I'm kind of uh, this is probably one of the series that I'm looking forward to the most in the next couple months um, because I really enjoyed the first White Knight. I like the fact that because it's outside of continuity, there's a little bit more freedom um, to do things, which is I think to be to be completely honest, I feel like Black Label was created as a reaction to the success of White Knight, um, and that's <laughs> not to say it's entirely that, but White Knight was a very, very well-selling series that proved a lot of, did a lot of strange things where it sold um, a certain number of issues for the first copy. They went back to print, but the second issue sold more copies, and that rarely mm -hmm. ever happens in comics. Um, so I think that the success of this and showing, hey, look, we can tell a Batman story that's outside, I think this kind of like helped other series or ideas that were out there that had been pitched to DC kind of get the, uh, well, okay, let's see what we can, you know, what, what, what risks we can take or allow. So, um, I'm interested to see where this goes. I had heard it's going to be more a religious slash Azrael based one, but none of the art seems to really reflect that. I'm not sure that Azrael makes an appearance right away. Yeah. I know that it does focus on religion and Azrael, but the, I don't think that, uh, he, I think he's like, alluded to in the beginning, but he's not going to appear right away. So this is probably from the first issue? Probably, yeah. Or he'll be like the cliffhanger at the end of the issue. Oh, yeah. So I'm like one of the only people uh, on TBU who was like, White Knight's fine, but I wasn't really excited about it. But I am excited about what it represents. As Dustin says, it's um, one guy doing an alternate universe, although he's said on Twitter he's going to open it up and going to have like other people. And I think that's great. Um, I think developing alternate universes in an organic way rather than, 
you know, like futures end trying to force a concept on someone on, on readers is the way to go. Um, people obviously responded to it and I really wish, I really wish they'd launched black label with metal rather than Batman damned. Yep. I agree. And I think that, uh, hindsight 2020, obviously I'm sure they wish they did too, because I mean, outside of Batman damned, nothing else has even released yet. And Batman damned has, uh, been plagued with massive delays, even though Brian Azzarello has said multiple times that the delays were always planned, which I find absolute lies, but (laughs) that's the news. Um, if you're wondering, um, I will say this, the solicitations for July have released while you're listening to this, uh, we should have the the breakdown of all the TBU books over on the site. Uh, we're not going to talk about solicitations because, unfortunately, I use the breakdown that I create for the site to talk about them. And DC has started to do this weird thing where typically they release the solicitations the third the third Monday of the month, or I guess I should say the second to last. No, no, it's it's the whenever there's it's it's always the Monday before the third. Wednesday of the month, if that makes sense. But anyway, or second to last Wednesday of the month, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. The whole point is um, they used to release them on Monday. And for some reason, the last two months, they released them on Friday. When they did it back last month in March, they there was some stuff that happened online talking about how well they were doing it to combat leaks. And to be honest, I, I wasn't sure exactly what leaks they were trying to plug because the solicitations didn't really reveal anything that they themselves hadn't revealed in press releases prior to the solicitations being released. So I don't know exactly what they were trying to plug when it came to those leaks this time around, it's the same thing. The, the, I mean, I'm reading things online saying that the uh, solicitations were released early to make sure that uh, to combat any leaks. But honestly, all of the big announcements that came out of the solicitations this month, including white Knight or Batman universe or, non-Batman Universe stuff, such as uh, the Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen series, they all had already announced that stuff, and even a, uh, more event Leviathan things. Like, There's been plenty of press related to a lot of the big stuff that's happening Year of the Villain. There's nothing that I saw, as far as the solicitations go, that's really like, oh, hey, everybody, look, this is happening, and nobody knew that this was happening prior to that. Um, I mean, literally the only thing I saw anybody even talk about was the fact that um, Batgirl, um, Margaret Scott is off of Batgirl as of June, and she's being replaced with, and I don't know how to pronounce her name. Um, the, 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 the Cecil Castellucci. Yes, that's it. She's currently working on female furies at DC. Um, but she's coming on to Batgirl and I saw something about, um, Oracle potentially returning, but I don't think that's in Batgirl. I think that's in event leviathan or some some other book or it has something to do with year of the part villain. of the year of the villain which is a justice league story with snyder yeah but anyway there's that that's happening but that's that's literally the only thing i saw that was worth of note when it came to the batman stuff i'll have the full breakdown over on the site and we'll talk about more in depth next time around um but yeah, I'm not real sure why they're suddenly releasing the solicitations on a Friday. I, it also seems strange because DC has this tendency to never release anything on Fridays because it normally gets lost in the shuffle of people heading to the weekend. So who knows? So that being said, that is all of our news. Uh, we're going to jump straight into our comic reviews. And the first one we have is Batman. Batman. <laughs> 
Batman number 68, written by Tom King, art by Amanda Connor, um, with additional art by Mikel Janine, uh, Dan Benosian, and John Timms. At the Fortress of Solitude, Supergirl tosses the impossibly heavy key to its door in the air casually, asking Catwoman and Lois Lane if they're ready. Though Lois and Selina hesitate at first, when they realize how drunk they are, they charge ahead. Supergirl unlocks the door, but has to patrol for asteroids, as Clark is spending the evening keeping Bruce company. At Wayne Manor, Bruce and Clark eat soup as Alfred serves them. They awkwardly make small talk, mentioning that Kara and Dick are taking care of their normal responsibilities. Superman's three Superman robot servants greet Lois and Selina, and they decide to raid Superman's extensive liquor collection, all gifted to him, and end up lying on the floor after at least 12 glasses of exotic, many extragalactic wines. Bruce shows Clark his family paintings as the awkwardness continues. Lois pushes Selina into one of Brainiac's traps that Superman defeated, a hot tub that's so blissful you never want to leave, then hops in herself. Floating together, Selina confesses she doesn't have many friends, and Lois says that she is Selina's friend. Bruce and Clark watch the Gotham Knights game, and Clark finally brings up what they are both thinking about, what their beloved partners are doing. Lois convinces Selina to try on some of Superman's outfit collection, likely for Supergirl or other superladies. She then convinces the Superman robots to perform a striptease for the two of them. While playing chess, Clark tries to offer marital advice to Bruce, but Bruce focuses on winning. After Selina and Lois get a massage, they signal Clark to pick them up, using Jimmy's signal watch Lois stole, as Selina has rubbed off a little on her. Clark tells Bruce that not being needed, relaxing, is his worst nightmare. Bruce denies it unconvincingly. Clark accuses Bruce of loving being needed, loving the brokenness of the world that he has to fix. Before Bruce can respond, Clark hears the signal, and they zip up to the fortress. As Clark takes a smiling Lois home, Selina tells Bruce she made a friend. Selina asks Bruce if they are friends, and Bruce is flummoxed, saying that he loves her. Cat ends the issue by saying she loves Bat too, over the truly nightmarish image of Batman strapped to a horrifying machine causing his endless bad dreams. So, I have a few questions about this issue. Um, the first one is, how do you feel about uh, Amanda Connor's very recognizable art style uh, and how it works with Tom King's writing in this? It's a little, it's a little uh, different because, I mean, to be honest, uh, Amanda Connor, the stuff that I've always, I've, I've, uh, I've come accustomed to recognizing her art style when it comes to a lot of the Harley Quinn stuff, it is slightly jarring because it's not something that I would typically peg you know, to see when I'm reading Tom King, um, her art style is not like any of the other artists that have worked with Tom King while he's been on any bat books. So that's, so there's that, uh, do I have a problem with it? Uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, I understand they were trying to go for more of a playful kind of, uh, story here with the, the entire, you know, the entire adventure between Lois and Selena. So that part of it, I can completely understand, um, trying to get somebody who is typically known for drawing a little bit more playful style. So is, in that regard, I see what was going on, but at the same time, I find it interesting. The issue was originally uh, said that it was going to have uh, just her on the art, and somehow there ended up being a slew of artists that uh, were <laughs> attached to this issue. So, 
Jarring is the perfect word. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, even the cover, it's done by her, too, right? Very similar, anyway. And oh, yes. Just, yes, it is. For I, I think I had to double-check to make sure I was reading the right book. <laughs> like, what? Um, yeah, and who's the artist who does the chins? Who's the chin guy? The, the what? The... the, the when the the final time in the lounge when when Bruce and Superman are talking and then they go pick up the girls, that's uh, John Timms. He usually works on Harley Quinn. I'm not a fan of that one. That's actually my that was my least favorite part of, part of the issue. Was I don't know. There's just a lot of chin when he draws people. Are you saying he's a chin artist? He's a chin artist. Like there's a little tiny mouth and then rough. And I don't know. That that threw me off too. Literally, as you both are saying, chin artists. All I keep thinking about is character, ca- the caricatures. <laughs> it kind of looks like that. Like, Superman's got these tiny, beady little eyes. I don't know. It's. I kind of wish they had made a little bit of an effort to be similar art styles, just so it wasn't so jarring at the end as well. It's like you're suddenly just looking at something completely different. Like the last panel being, I'm t- I'm taking that's Janine at the end. That makes sense because. It's like if this whole thing was a nightmare disguised as like a, a more lighthearted story, then the art style makes sense of the issue and the last panel makes sense because that's back to reality. But those last two pages of the actual nightmare are just weird. That's my least favorite part of it. So I had a lot of thoughts about the art in this issue. The first <laughs> one is um, Amanda Connor is a great artist. She's a superstar. She's beloved. If you ever go to a convention... <laughs> plan ahead to get in her lines because they're hours long. Her art feels very Disney to me, and she's done mm-hmm. a lot of like harder-edged content, but it's always got this really polished and cartoony appeal to it. Tom King's dialogue is not cartoony. It's very thoughtful. It's very carefully picked, but it's not polished. It has a deliberate uh, repetitive- repetitiveness Um, I called it recursive in my review, which means going back on itself. It's trying to mimic a certain realism in speech, but it also is very poetic. And I thought that there was a little bit of tension between this very polished, appealing, cartoony style of Connor and King's um, more symbolic, more, I don't want to say gritty, but slightly darker and more hesitant dialogue. Um, And so that was the first thing I thought. But I want to say... Um, King loves to use these grid formats. So there's like nine panel grids and there's a 12 panel grid and Connor better than a lot of his other artists. I'm not a fan of the way Mitch Grads does a nine panel grid. Cause I feel like he, he doesn't use it terribly interestingly, but Connor's use of the nine panel grid has a ton of symmetry and uh, narrative propulsion and symbol, uh, symbolic framing, the way she positions the characters in the frame. She's just a really intelligent artist, and you can tell that she and King really told the story well together, even if I think there's a tension between their styles. Um, and I appreciated that a lot. I do think that um, the three additional artists are probably because uh, Connor ran out of time to do art. Now, that could be... Uh, an artist speed thing. It could be an injury thing and it could be an editorial um, mix up thing. Cause it, they have been shuffling editors around quite a bit recently. So I would, I would say this issue was delayed probably because they couldn't get all the art done in time. And it's also possible that Tom King changed the script at the last minute because 
we've been getting some indications that Tom King has had to readjust his story recently. I actually kind of liked John Tim's art on the last second to last two pages because that's where, to me, the nightmare becomes terrifying. Because before that, it's just sort of Batman and Superman sort of being awkward and Lois and uh, Selina bonding. But in those two pages, Superman sort of reveals what Batman's afraid of, which is what the nightmares are all about. What is Batman afraid of? And you have him revealing this fear. And so the shift in the art made a certain amount of sense, although I would have preferred if Connor could have drawn all the pages. I also thought that King and Connor worked really well together in some of the jokes. Uh, Connor obviously has a great sense of humor because the the cover itself is its it's its own little joke. But there's a scene where Clark is giving advice about marriage. He's like, well, marriage makes life worthwhile, and I feel like I'm a better superhero because I'm married. And Batman's just like, check, check, because they're playing chess. And he Mm -hmm. ends this little scene by saying mate. And I thought it was a hilarious and really intelligent pun of, you know, Superman's talking about marriage, a mate, uh, finding Mm -hmm. a mate. And Batman ends saying mate. So there's that kind of humor that I'm sure was sort of an interplay between King and Connor that worked really well. Um, So my second question is, do you think that this is more of a memory or more of a creation? So in these nightmares, we had the honeymoon, which obviously didn't happen. And we've had uh, Catwoman being interrogated by the question, which didn't happen. And we have Batman chasing Joker playing the Roadrunner, which probably didn't happen. But do you think that this party with Lois and Selina and Bruce and Clark together, do you think that happened uh, and is sort of being re-remembered and changed by the dream? Uh, no, I don't think it happened. Um, and I say that because I thought that there was that, if you remember the wedding preludes, there was the issue where Selina comes home from her bachelorette party and Damien's there and she has this like moment with Damien. And to be fair, while she could have, I guess, completely sobered up on her way home from uh, that, she did not, it's not, it doesn't line up with those preludes at all. Um, and not that I would love to, uh, to pretend that those preludes were held in the highest regard and we really appreciated those because we didn't. But I would say that the, as far as this actually happening, I think that this is, just yet another dream and it didn't happen. Or maybe this is what Bruce imagines would happen if she had a bachelorette party and the wedding was actually going to happen. So I think that's, I think that's ultimately what it is, but I honestly don't think that this is like a memory or something where it actually happened, but I feel like this would actually happen or could actually happen if there was a little bit, if they weren't dealing with the stuff with the Joker at the time, I feel like this is probably what would have actually happened as far as her bachelorette party, but maybe there would have been a couple more people like what we saw on the cover actually involved in the story. So I agree that this is what could have happened. Um, I think I think we have to resign ourselves to the fact that the preludes didn't happen. That's just marketing, and it failed miserably because, I mean, none of that happened. <laughs> So it would make sense that if any event happened, that this happened. Because if you remember in this original Super Friends with Superman, you know, Lois says, well, invite me to any wedding stuff you do. And then we never see any wedding stuff apart from the preludes, which again. So I think if if anything did happen, it would have been this. I don't think the preludes ever happened so that 
that wonderful Damien moment never happened. But um, I think it could. Like, not even, not even like, this is a universe where it could have happened. I think it, it might as well have actually happened because, you know, we did have those few months of missing time between the wedding day, which was arbitrarily picked, and... Um, and her and Selena being shot. So there is time for something to have happened. I don't it's put it outside the realm of thunder. I was going to make the same argument. <laughs> so I, I actually think that we can read the preludes as having happened um, just before the arc where Joker uh, blows up Batman and shoots Catwoman. So that's uh, Batman 48 and 49. And Tom King has said he thinks that six months took place between 49 Mm -hmm. and 50 because that's about how much time it would take for Catwoman to heal from a gut shot. So I would say there's a perfect amount of time for her to be healing and have this event with Lois. But, I mean, it's obviously going to be altered by the fact that this is a nightmare. But I think it is more of a memory. That's my personal position on this. Um, I can see how you would say it didn't happen. And even though I did actually enjoy that Damien moment, I also enjoyed the jo- uh, the Jason um, issue. I thought that was kind <laughs> of fun. They weren't really that important. Um, and it was kind of a jerk move to um, release the last one when they spoiled the results of the wedding already. So that one wasn't going to sell very well. So my next question is... Superman in the dream, so it's not actually Superman, so it's Batman's idea of Superman, says to Batman that Clark loves being Superman, but hates that people need to be rescued. He, he wishes the world worked, and he didn't need to rescue them. Um, and he accuses Bruce of hating being Batman, but liking that people needed him to rescue them. He liked the the pain that he needs to save people from. Do you think that would you agree with with Clark in the dream or do you think that there is a different perspective to have um in this run of Batman? Obviously, there's tons of different perspectives, but do you think that Tom King is saying that Clark is right that Bruce hates being Batman but loves that he has to rescue people? Um, no, I think that the way I interpret it is more of a, because this is a nightmare, Clark is telling him what you would think is the, 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 you know, the way it actually is. But in reality, Bruce is in, you know, and not in a nightmare would actually view it as he doesn't want to have to be needed. He, he does what he does because he feels compelled to do it because of the situation that the city is in and the fact that he's there to basically help Gotham become a better place. He doesn't want to have to be needed. If anything, I think there's multiple versions of Batman out there that have shown that Batman wants to be able to hang up the collar at some point. And I believe that Tom King has been saying at various points throughout his run that he too uh, Batman wants to be able to hang up his cowl or at least take a break or actually enjoy life. I think that's what he's doing. So I think that this is a nightmare because it's part of the nightmares arc. I think this version of, of the, the, or this nightmare is basically Clark saying, Hey, this is how it is. And I think Bruce is being told this, but I don't think that's how he actually views it. And I don't think that is how it is. I think that ultimately Bruce would love for, crime to become 
you know, completely non-existent in Gotham City and he would actually be able to go off and have an enjoyable life with Catwoman and settle down and have a family and, you know, his and not have all of his adopted sons and his and, and Damien and everybody else that is part of the Bat family in these horrible situations that they're constantly put in. I think that ultimately he would like for crime to be gone. And I don't think he would be in a situation where if crime was gone, he would just decide that uh, he needs to pick up and move shop to a different city. I don't think that would be the case. And that's part of the reason why I have such a problem with like Batman as part of the justice league, because one, they, they deal with much larger problems that is in some regard outside of the scope of what Batman is best for. But at the same time, Batman, he's, he dedicates what he does to the city of Gotham. That's what he's doing. And the problem is that as soon as he moves out and he goes somewhere else and has nothing to do with Gotham city, it feels like he's just, then that feels like what we're seeing here with what Clark is saying about how he feels like he's needed or he needs to do this. So I don't, I I'm thinking it's a nightmare version and it's not actually how it is, but that's my take on it too. Yeah, I wonder if um, if this is how Bruce is afraid he feels, if that makes any sense. Like, he may not have thought that Bruce is afraid that that's what, what is. That that Bruce is afraid that maybe, you know, he's he's codependent on himself. Like, he needs he needs Gotham to need him. He might be afraid of that. Because right now, and then even before Nightmare started, you know, Bruce is in a weird place. He's, He's making weird choices. He's reacting strangely. Like Batman is not has not been in his right mind. And who is he becoming? And and is he afraid that he's becoming someone who does need to be needed and wants not to be needed by Gotham? I don't remember. Is this have we said in this run that that Selena you know knows that? Yeah, yeah. When she's talking to Talia, she says, you know, I'll know I'll always come second to Gotham. Gotham always comes first. Um, so even if he's happily married, Selena knows that she'll come second to his job, to the mission. And I wonder if Bruce is internalizing that and thinking, well, well, yes, it's true, but, but if Gotham didn't need me anymore, what would I be? I if his number, if, if his number one goal is I need, you know, I need to save Gotham, then what does he become when Gotham doesn't need him anymore? I think you're both absolutely right. I think it makes perfect sense that, this is not necessarily the truth, but it's what Batman is afraid of. Batman is afraid that he needs to be Batman. And I really hope that Tom King is going to say, no, that's not true. That Bruce, not necessarily like Playboy Bruce or, you know, the Bruce that everyone sees, but Bruce can be happier. Maybe not perfectly happy, but happier. That he doesn't have to be a suicide. That his vow, like in I Am Suicide, that his vow that I will avenge the death of my parents doesn't have to be the death of any relationship, any happiness that he can truly have in the future. Um, I'm worried because Scott Snyder played with the exact same themes in Super Heavy. Uh, He had Bruce actually, you know, get engaged. And then he literally had Bruce's fiance kill him. And bring him back as Batman. Like, you don't get much more literal than that and say, <laughs> Batman can't be happy because he's dead. I am hoping that Tom King is saying the opposite. But we'll have to wait and see. All right. So, I'm going to give uh, this issue of Batman a total of 
three and a half out of five. Three, yeah, I agree. Three and a half. I, I was initially on the same boat, but I was just so intrigued by all the thoughts I had about the art and uh, <laughs> the themes. So I'm I'm bumping mine up to a four, which is what I said on the site. Four out of five. All right, so that's going to give Batman a total of three and a half out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 1001, written by Peter Tomasi, art by Brad Walker. The Arkham Knight stands before his followers and tells them the months of training and dedication have led them all to this moment. This is a moment of clarity where each of them represents a symbol. Symbols are woven into the fabric of this world. People create symbols, stand behind them, follow them, and become them. They have all left behind the darkness and embraced the light. They are all now members of the sun. Elsewhere in Gotham, Commissioner Gordon arrives at a playground littered with dead bats. He tells a fellow officer to bag one of the bats and take it to be analyzed. He calls Batman and mentions that they have a bat problem. Batman responds he has one as well. He tells Gordon to give him a sample of the bat that he found. After they hang up, Alfred asks if they have begun a long day's journey into the night. While looking at all the dead bats in the cave, Bruce confirms that they have just started their evening. While doing an autopsy on one of these bats, Bruce asks how many of these he has he done. Alfred tells him that this is the 56th. Large amounts of bats have died all across Gotham. After finding nothing useful during his autopsy, Bruce goes to the one person who knows more about bats than he does. Francine Langstrom, the wife of Kirk Langstrom, who, as many people, including most of our listeners, know, is Man-Bat. In her lab, Francine notes that she only take she only took the Man-Bat serum once several years ago, but she still is finding the pain unbearable. She must stop the screaming. Batman enters her lab and tries to calm her down. He tells Francine that Kirk is working with the Justice League and that he is doing okay. Uh, if you don't know, that's happening over in Justice League Dark. They can work together to resolve this issue. Francine tells Batman the only way to understand the screaming is to become them. She injects herself with the man-bat serum, and she transforms into a bat. As she, as she is flying away, Batman uses a rope of his grappling gun as a lasso. He uses the rope to control her descent and avoid casualties. Francine notices something and flies off to meet it. With Batman on her back, she flies through different buildings and arrives at the Gotham Park Zoo, specifically the Bat Safari exhibit. She lays on the ground, writhing in pain, as saying so many of them are dying. Batman injects her with a serum, and she reverts back to her human form. While on the top of the Gotham Park Zoo, Batman notices a massive beam of light in Gotham. He radios Alfred for a status report. Alfred responds that it was an intense, powerful beam of light, which produced a concussive wave. Batman realizes that someone has just created a small sun over Gotham. As he goes to the site of where the light was, he is ambushed by a group of knights. The knights' weapons are penetrating his suit while his weapons are being deflected by theirs. Batman tries to retreat but is overrun by all of these knights. Batman throws a gas grenade at the group of of knights but is stopped by the Arkham Knight. While looking down upon a tired, beaten, and battered Batman, the Arkham Knight declares it is a new day in Gotham. It's time for the shadows to start running from themselves. All right, so a um, couple of things. The first thing I want to talk about is this idea. So so the the beam of light appears, but I don't know that it's... 
I feel like it would make the most sense if it was directly related to the the bats dying. If there is a beam of light that was emitted, had a concussive reaction, it could affect the bats, but the bats turn up dead beforehand. So um, obviously there's something else going on that's causing the bats to, to have the situation. I'm guessing that the whole point of that was for the Arkham Knight to send a message to Batman. But to be completely honest, I don't really see what the message is meant to be other than Batman is just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, any idea why or what could the bats mean for the future or if anything? Or, I mean, do you, did you guys think it was just a message that the Arkham Knight was trying to get across? And if so, what was the message? I thought it was just a message. I mean, that's a huge dent in the local ecosystem to just send a message. But I guess if you're a terrorist, you don't care. But, um, yeah, I have no idea what the message is. I mean, die, bat, die. Is that about right? Yeah, pretty much. I think that it was just a message of how deep the hatred the Ark of Night has for Batman, that he kills all these innocent creatures who are his symbol. I know that a lot of writing uh, for a first issue of an arc is going to be putting a bunch of mysterious things out there, but I, I really struggle to see the connection between the knights, the miniature sun, and the bats dying. It was very confusing to me. I mean, they may all be connected, and I think I'd appreciate that, but yeah, right now it just seems like nothing. Which is weird, because it's, it's the first few half of the issue is him trying to figure it out. Yeah. And to be fair, the entire time I was reading it, I just kept thinking to myself, I'm not sure what the point of the bats are. I mean, like, if it's like a warning that I'm coming for you, Batman, then what was the point of shooting up the the bright light in the sky because that was basically like come and get me now so Mm -hmm. what was the point of i'm coming to get you if if it was just come and get me um the other question i had is so it, it seems that obviously this is not jason todd um the arkham knight and while we still don't have in my opinion we still don't have enough information to really come down to any sort of hey let's uh make a guess as to who's behind the arkham knights because I mean, I'll be honest, I don't really think it's going to end up being anybody we already know. I feel like it is going to be a new character. So because of that, I I don't want to sit here and try to make predictions because let's be honest, the last time we played that game when we did the uh, Brian Hill story with who was behind the mask of the bad guy, we were completely let down um, because it ended up being really nobody. But, But at the same time, this the the Arkham Knight... There's the little that we do know about him is interesting to me. The thing that I find, and I say this like, uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this, but because I don't want to speak ill because again, we don't know what's exactly going on. And honestly, the buildup of the Arkham Knight making his appearance in the issue or in the series and main continuity has been built up pretty well over the past couple months uh, leading to 1000. And now this, this story arc, and to be honest, I, I'm kind of like hesitant to know exactly where this is going to go, mostly because I'm pretty sure, as I said, that the person behind the mask is not going to be anybody that you know is going to be like a huge reveal. It's going to end up being somebody where it's like, well, we didn't know who this was. Maybe we'll find out all about this person and they'll reveal all kinds of information, but I don't think it's going to be anybody that we already know. 
that being said, there's this there's this other part of it, which is this guy has existed. There's yet another secret organization out there. This is like the Knights of the Sun or some whatever they're being called. Um, and there's this secret organization that are super great fighters who have weapons that can you know penetrate Batman's uh, armor and and they can deflect Batman's weapons. I mean, like there's this whole aspect of like yet another group of people that Batman has to fight that he didn't know about. Um, they have very, very close similarities to the League of Assassins, but at the same time, they're different. They're more medieval-themed rather than, like, ninja-themed. So how do you guys feel just based off of the stuff from 1000 and 1001? What are your expectations of, for this story for the next... Because this wraps up in 1005, or at least wraps up in the sense of the first arc is done. I know 1006 is going to be a standalone ar- ar- uh, story that has nothing to do with Arkham Knight. And at this point, I'm not sure what's happening after that. If they're going to go back to, uh, you know, talking about Arkham Knight with a new story or if Arkham Knight's just going to pop up in the future. But what are your expectations going forward for the next at least four more issues? I have more of a hope than an expectation, but... They, like you said, they've really been hyping this up. This up, they're introducing the Arkham Knight to the comics, and I mean, they better give him a good—I don't know—debut. I don't know. That's another word I'm looking for, but like a good reason for fighting and a good, interesting character. Like maybe get to know who he is, you know, behind the mask, and not just if he is a stranger. Like, sure, let us know what what's his deal. Like, why is he doing this? And then I would hope that at the end he gets away because if he's going to be introduced as a new player in the DC universe, it would be cool if he got away and came back with something bigger and better later. That would be my hope for the story. I think it's detectives in such a weird spot because right now it's completely divorced from what's going on in Batman. And it has to be because Batman's in a nightmare unless you (laughs) force everyone who's writing about Batman to say, oh, yes, everything in our books is a nightmare, too. Obviously, it's not going to be connected. But we're about to go into a major status quo shift. Um, City of Bane hits in July. So is Tomasi going to write in City of Bane? Um, I think there's a good chance he will. Because when... Jim Gordon was Batman. Tomasi wrote Jim Gordon as Batman when he was writing Detective back then. So I think it's, there's a good chance um, that he'll write in City of Bane. And I could see, you know, the Arkham Knight being sort of like maybe allied with Bane, but not working for him. So he has his own little part of Gotham, sort of like in No Man's Land, where he had like Penguin's area and Two-Face's area. So Bane's like the big guy, but you got little people underneath him. And I can see Arkham Knight being sort of an independent villain that Batman would spar with. Meanwhile, he's also fighting with Bane and stuff. But it's it's so hard to see what exactly is going to be happening because City of Bane is such a huge status, status quo shift. And the next five issues of Batman are going to have to set that up. Um, so part of me thinks that the Arkham Knight is sort of a cool thing that Tomasi wanted to do because he wrote the Arkham Knight tie-in comics for the game. And he wanted to introduce a new version of that. But I just, I think Dustin's absolutely right. We don't have enough information to really say. And I can't see where it's going just because of the constraints of the main Batman title. 
I mean, to be to be completely honest, like I said, I'm holding back any sort of like massive reserve uh, feelings towards what's happening here until we know a little bit more. But to be honest, like I'm not not seeing, and I just pulled up as as you guys were talking, I pulled up the solicitations, and it looks like the Spectre store or the solicitations for July, which, like I said, I hadn't completely reviewed them. Solicitations for July have 1,007 being the second part of that Spectre story. So I guess it's not a one and done; it's a two parter. And then immediately after that, in 1,008, is actually going to be the Joker. He's writing Joker. Uh, Joker's returning to the pages of Detective Comics. So, um, are those both by Tomasi as well? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and the and Doug Mankey's back on art on 1008. So, I'm guessing the Arkham Knight stuff really is going to wrap up in the next four issues, which is kind of crazy, but we'll see. What is he going to do with Joker? Because Joker is part of Bane's plan. This is so weird. Yeah. Wow. Well, the other thing is, you know, you mentioned this earlier about the editors shifting around. Um, I, I noticed that uh, Chris Conroy had said that Detective 1000 was his last issue that he was working on. Um, although I did see that his name was still attached to 1001. And I'm guessing it's just because he was just involved in maybe getting, you know, the planning stage or whatever. But I've, I've, I'm noticing that Jamie Rich is also listed on Detective Comics. So I'm wondering if Rich is actually going to be maybe officially the back group editor because they really haven't had a back group editor since really uh, Mark Doyle left or not left, but, you know, tr- you know, moved into a different side of stuff. So I'm wondering if maybe Rich is going to be that. Maybe we'll start to see a little bit more cohesion amongst the books. I hope we do. Uh, I'm not holding my breath, though. Well, a lot of the books are being dragged around by um, Justice League with this uh, Year of the Villain event. So seems like there's still a lot of inconsistency going on. All right. So 1001, I'm going to give this a total of three out of five. 2.75? Three. Three point four, three, three. Three bad ranks. Um, I was... A bit frustrated, so I was going to give it a 2, but I thought Brad Walker's art was really good, so it's going to be a 2.5 for me. All right, and over on the site, Tony gave it 3, so it's going to give Detective Comics a total of 3 out of 5 bad ranks. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Now, as promised, I'm going to do something just a tad bit different. Um, rather than us running down all of the books that released over the past couple of weeks and telling you exactly, you know, a brief synopsis or I guess a summary of what the the issue is about and giving a thumbs up, thumbs down neutral rating, and rather than doing that, what I'm going to do, however, is I'm going to list the books that came out over the past couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to encourage you to check out the reviews over on the site, and then if there's a book amongst the list that came out that either one of you really thought was great, that will be your opportunity to kind of talk about it. So that way we can maybe spend a little bit more time talking in depth about a specific title rather than just saying our ratings. And obviously if our listeners don't like this new approach, 
we'll go back to the way we did it. But I'm just curious to see if we can maybe change it and uh, do a little bit more discussion when it comes to specific titles that we really enjoyed. So over the past couple weeks, the books that have released include Harley Quinn number 60, Deathstroke number 42, Adventures of Super Sons number 9, Justice League number 21, Young Justice number 4, The Batman Who Laughs number 4, Red Hood Outlaw number 33, Catwoman number 10, and there was also the very first of the DC Inc. DC Zoom books that we will be covering on on, uh, the Batman Universe, uh, Super Sons, The Polar Shield Project. So out of those books, Steph, was there anything that stood out that you want to discuss? Um, I was wondering how you guys feel about Harley Quinn's trials of whatever it is she's going through to become a superhero or whatever it is. I actually forgot what, what the trials are for, but I'm, I'm enjoying the trials and the super belt she's got. But what do you guys think of that? Well, I can say that I read Harley Quinn, but uh, I think personally, I think um, it's time for a, a creative change. Not, not, not saying <laughs> that I'm specifically disliking what Humphreys is doing, but I don't feel like the book is... I don't feel like there's... And I say this fully knowing that the Harley Quinn book is kind of like on the frill edge of any sort of continuity of anything because Harley Quinn appears in other titles and when she appears in other titles it's not as if that is the only time she, you know, that anything happening in her own book has any sort of effect on any of the others. But at the same time I feel like the Harley Quinn series right now is just, it's not it's not required reading but the thing is it's never been required reading but I really feel like at this point it's just kind of like treading water because it doesn't know what direction it wants to go. It, was, it started off with the apocalypse stuff. They had some holdovers uh, characters from that story. Now they're doing these trials. Um, they've had witches. They've had now they've had you know now she's turning into a bug. Um, <laughs> some sort of spell. I mean, like don't get me wrong. There's the art on uh, a lot of these titles is enjoyable, but I just feel like the story is just kind of like. It's just happening, and I'd rather feel like something like worthwhile is occurring. Like and then, like I said, I know that there are going to be some people out there who are like, but that's literally how the Harley Quinn's book has been since the movie. And I'm going to say you are absolutely right. But I, I was about to say, Dustin, have you ever liked the Harley Quinn book? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I dislike the book. It's just it's one of those things where it's just I wish that there was something more happening. Like I wish that. You know, there was some sort of development within the overall continuity of maybe the Batman universe rather than just her sticking in her little bubble and then constantly creating more characters for her little bubble. But none of those characters matter outside of the bubble of those single solo title. Um, that's all I'm that's all I'm hoping for. I I mean, I'm I'm with Steph. I've really enjoyed Humphrey's run um, on Harley Quinn because I think he strikes a really good balance between whimsy and the edge that Harley Quinn needs to have. Um, I think a lot of writers, including the Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti run, tended to go a little too far on the edge, even though they were significantly better than what, you know. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. Connor and Palmiotti inherited Harley at a time when she had literally just slaughtered children. So... They pulled her way back, and so I think it's at a point where she can be a fun character, but she could also be uh, a little more edgy. I don't feel the need for Harley to really go forward. I mean, she's basically just a gag character, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that Humphreys is doing a lot of gags that I really enjoy. 
Um, what I really wish is that we had a title like Gotham City Sirens. Now, I know Suicide Squad is supposed to be the Harley title, but that's currently canceled, and I know they're supposed to be relaunching that. But right now, there is no main continuity Harley going on. I think it would be cool to have Gotham City Sirens back, as long as it was written by someone who wrote her to be fun and not too edgy. Um, Because that's always the danger of a character connected to the Joker. I don't think we want a Harley who slaughters children, but DC thought we needed that. So that's always the worry I have when Harley gets pushed closer to continuity. Yeah, I was finding that before I was enjoying almost reliably every other storyline, and this one's going on a little longer, but I'm, I'm enjoying this one. Yeah. Uh, Ian, what uh, what of any of those books that uh, came out of the last two weeks that you want to discuss? Yeah, I think that um, it will be no surprise that I think Deathstroke is an amazing book, and I want to highlight the fact that uh, Priest has worked with Damien, Christopher Priest, the writer, has worked with Damien a lot in his run. He, he had two issues really early in the run, and then he had a highlight in the Batman versus Deathstroke um, crossover. And here, I think he really approaches something that he's been concerned about Damien for a long time, which is that Damien was brought up as a child to kill. And that is a very psychologically damaging thing. And so he's having Destro confront Damien with the fact that he has killed. Um, he, he brings up specifically nobody from Peter Tomasi's uh, Batman and Robin run, the first arc born to kill, um, which was recently re-released as uh, Bad Blood, I think, in the Essential Edition. Uh, and despite the fact that I think most people know I'm not the biggest Tomasi fan, that first arc is quite good. Um, the conflict between Batman, uh, Robin, and nobody is quite uh, interesting in uh, Patrick Gleason's art. It's gorgeous. So he's referencing that, and he's he's sort of giving Damien um, a perspective that he wants to be a hero, but he he can't fully commit to being a hero because he's killed. He's he's entered the world of dark gray morality where he can't make a pure choice anymore. And so I found that really intriguing. And I am looking forward to how that will end up because we know that Deathstroke's going to go to Deathstroke RIP. So Deathstroke's going to be dead or quote unquote dead. Um, but I think that the, the use of Damien is really intriguing to me in that crossover right now. And I'll say this. I haven't, I, I can't say that I've been keeping up everything with Deathstroke, but I do. I think the idea, well, I have to say this when uh, you told me that Deathstroke was going to, the plan is to go to 50 issues. I thought to myself, okay, well, if that actually happens, I mean, great on, great on DC for actually allowing that to happen because it can give some sort of sense of like finality to the story because that's what Christopher Priest is aiming towards. He has these arcs in mind. He has a, a specific plan and he's planning on ending it at that time. And the fact that even though the book isn't selling as well as other titles, DC continues to, you know, push the book forward and and allow it to keep going to this number 50, which is assuming, um, you know, what DC was told in the very beginning, like, Hey, give me 50 issues and I'll tell a really cool story that will have all these points and it'll be really good. I, I appreciate the fact that DC is actually allowing that to happen because it puts a little bit, 
it puts a little bit of uh, of like a focus on the fact that they're they're okay with giving these creators the ability to do something because I mean to be honest, DC and this isn't just DC. I know that there's other companies who do this too, but there's lots of comic companies out there nowadays where you you know somebody could come to them and say, hey, I've got this ultimate idea for a story, but it's going to take fifty issues. And we're also obviously seeing that with Tom King's run on Batman. Not that the sales are warranting any sort of creative need for or a change for a creator or anything, but the fact that DC was able to say, yeah, sure, we'll take a risk on a hundred issues, which will take four years to, you know, to basically publish. And in the meantime, sure, go ahead. Let's, let's uh, do this massive story. Deathstroke seems to be that, but uh, obviously a smaller scale because it's not releasing every, every it's not releasing twice per month. Um, now and the fact that it's going to, you know, it's not going to nearly be as long. Um, I appreciate the fact that they're allowing this to happen um, because if anything, it just, it shows that they have some faith in some creators, even if they don't do it for all creators. So I completely agree. I like this idea of having an end you're working toward DC's like, yeah, we'll, we'll let you do that. And the Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane books that were just uh, announced in solicitations, they said they're 12 issue series. Which I really like. Now, they've been doing a lot of these like Mr. Miracle and Freedom Fighters and uh, Martian Manhunter. These are all – oh, and Bane Conquest. So these are all 12-issue miniseries, maxi-series planned from the beginning where you have a beginning, middle, end. Um, and I like that because it means you can take chances on smaller characters and stranger ideas without necessarily worrying that you're going to get canceled halfway through. Um but it also gives the chance of, you know, being renewed. So, like, if Lois Lane or uh, one of these titles does really well, they can say, oh, well, we're going to come back for another 12-issue series. So I like the fact that DC is going more towards this idea of telling a, a whole story, letting a creator really get to where he wants to go rather than, well, maybe next issue is your last. Like, sort of what they did with Batgirl, unfortunately. I'm, I'm pretty bummed that that's getting uh, cut off you know, in July and we're getting a new team, even though we've just had this team for like six months. Yeah. Which is to me a, a big, a, a big miss because I've actually been really enjoying what she's been doing, but mm-hmm. that should be uh that, that, that should be one of our sales analysis in the next couple of months is mm-hmm. how this, how Batgirl, the, because quite honestly, the last couple of months sales haven't been dropping significantly for Batgirl. So I'm not sure what prompted them to mm-hmm. shift this. And it didn't seem like it was, uh, Scott having the desire to leave either because her tweet was basically like, well, hey, if you noticed, uh, I'm not on the book anymore. Aww. And it was it's one of those things where it seems strange to me. But Well, going back to Deathstroke, because it's crossover right now, um, speaking from the Damien point of view, um, I did very much appreciate like the direction this is going. I wasn't quite sure what it, what it was, what the storyline was going to be because I kind of keep my eyes off the solicitations for the most part. Yeah, I did not expect the whole issue just to be Deathstroke just talking Damien through through his his motivations, and so it was it was very not what I was expecting and very interesting. I enjoyed it. All right, so out of the books that released in the past couple of weeks, the one that I want to talk about is Red Hood Outlaw number thirty three, and the reason I say this issue is because, or well, not specifically this issue, but the current story arc is that. Quite honestly, I feel like this is a really cool idea, and I think that this is the direction that I thought they were going with initially when they started Red Hood. 
So if you haven't been reading Red Hood, um, in the very beginning of Rebirth, when Red Hood relaunched, Red Hood was taking out Black Mask. Is that right? Yeah, he was taking out Black Mask. Yeah. And and uh, Batman comes to him and says, you know, you can't, you, you know, you can't do this. And he's like, no, I didn't actually take him out. I just made everyone think that I took him out because I'm trying to infiltrate the underworld of Gotham City. And I thought the idea was really cool. And then they decided to go in a completely different direction some, for some weird reason. And then it turned out Bizarro got super smart and they had this thing hovering above Gotham City that was helping them prevent crime, but didn't matter to any of the other books that actually are in Gotham City. Uh, yeah, and then they went in a completely different direction with you know changing up the team and having Artemis and Bizarro go off into some other universe or dimension or whatever. But now they're getting back to what seems to be the original intent of the story. But they still, he still has this team. He has Bunker um, as part of the team. He has the Sioux Sisters, which you know have appeared in the past in Red Hood. But the idea that Jason has basically put Batman in a position where he cannot take him out of power of Iceberg Lounge, um, but at the same time, he is he's he he's doing this because he's trying to figure out the best way to to stop the stuff that's really corrupt that Penguin has been dealing with for such a long time. I really think it's a really cool idea. Um, the execution, we'll have to see. To be honest, 33 kind of felt like, well, let's just throw in a random story about how this random group of um, villains or this random gang has been hired by the penguin to I- investigate if he, if he ever goes missing. It felt slightly random um, and felt like a, just a random moment to fill in an issue. But I'm interested to see where exactly this goes because it has a lot of potential, just like that first story arc had a lot of potential. But again, it's one of those swings where you have to hold back your reservations on as far as what your expectations are, specifically because the expectations were really high f- when Red when Red Hood relaunched, and then it just went in a completely different direction. So, but to p- defend the old one, like at least like the characters and and the relationships, I was really enjoying those. And so now it's just having to get to new know these new guys. What is there's Bunker and there's ugh, now there's a girl and um, who's the other guy the 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 wall guy and. Oh, the Sue sisters. Yeah, that's right. So it's just interesting getting to know these new characters, and I just really hope that their relationships become as as interesting and intimate, I guess, as as it was before with Bizarro and Artemis. Because even though the stories were weird, I was enjoying the relationships. Well, I'm excited about um, the annual that's coming out for Red Hood because it says uh, it's bringing Artemis and Bizarro back. So um, I think this current arc is interesting i'm i'm really puzzled about what jason's relationship with batman is because in 25 batman beat him up and said never come back to gotham but then in 26 he gave him a hug it was like i still love you (laughs) i it's confused me um but i mean it's it's still enjoyable just not necessarily a like a must read for me every every month all right so that is three books to check to to take a look at um that have released over the past three or the past couple of weeks. Like I said, we do have reviews of all those other books that I mentioned, including Detective Comics and Batman. And we always have reviews every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday um, as new books release. So be sure to check out the site for all those reviews. 
With that being said, uh, before we move into some other things, I want to quickly thank our Patreon supporters. Uh, thank you, Theodis, Robert, Donald, Brendan, Ian, Damian, Stanton's Grave, Ar- Arturo, Irwin, Captain America, Jay Dutton, and Real No Deuces. Thank you very much for your support. We greatly appreciate all the support that you guys give. Um, those of you who are not supporting us, just as a eh, public service announcement, um, if you are so interested in having extra content from us, over the past couple of weeks, we've released a couple of new episodes. Specifically, we had one uh, I mentioned on the last episode. It was in regard to the uh, Zack Snyder comments about uh, how Batman kills get with it. Um, we also had a new Fandom and Crisis episode, which was talking all about the culture of fans creating petitions with the hope of, that it would actually change things. And then uh, recently... I sat down with Adele and we talked about uh, the latest DC film Shazam. Um, There should also, as you're listening to this, be a new episode released for uh, me talking about the Joker trailer that was recently released as well. So lots of content in the last couple of weeks. I'm hoping to get caught up and uh, have everything out um, so that we have new stuff. And then uh, Ian, do you want to announce what's coming in May? Well, uh, one of our reviewers, Paul Shanley, and I are planning to do some episodes. Um, we're tentatively calling it Gotham uh, – sorry, no, the Batman Universe Cold Case Files. Um, and it's going to be looking at various older issues of Batman in a review format uh, to sort of examine the roots of a lot of our Batman fandom and maybe expose some some newer fans or some older fans who haven't read these issues in a while to what – do these issues add to Batman? What do they say about Batman? Um, and get some in-depth reviews of some older issues. Um, and we're going to hopefully add some other staff members as well. So yes, that's what we're planning. And that's going to, that's going to, that episode, there'll be one episode per month and that's going to be available at the $3 level. So uh, that'll take the place of one of the TBU raws per month. But uh, that is an benefit that you will be getting starting in May. So uh, if you subscribe at the $3 level, you will be able to get one of those episodes in addition to an episode of TBU Raw. So with that being said, uh, thank you to our supporters. If you are not supporting us, please do so. If uh, you are not inclined to support us through Patreon, we do have a donation link that you can click over on the site for PayPal. We do have merch. I I rarely bring it up because quite honestly, we don't sell that much of it, but we do have merchandise with some shirts with the Batman Universe logo on it and some other little sayings and things like that that we've said over the years on the comic cast. So you can check that stuff out. There's a link over on the site for that. In addition to that, if you don't if you don't have any money and you'd still like to support us in some way, we are always looking for people to write news. Um, we're specifically looking for new people to review comics. Um, um, we're looking for video editors, audio editors graphic designers, website developers, website designers, all the, all that kind of stuff that goes in line with anything that we currently are, are doing. Um, we're definitely looking for people to always help us and volunteer their skills and, you know, and their time um, to help better the Batman universe and expand our reach and grow the community of fans that we have. So with that being said, you can email me at tbu at thebatmanverse.net if you have any of those skills you'd like to share with us or you have any other concerns you'd like to let me know about. So that's where you can get in touch with me. (laughs) Boy, did you get a wrong number. 
advantage of the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! Um, we do have one comment. This comment actually comes from the previous episode, episode 269. It was posted right after we actually recorded, but I wanted to make sure that we got to it. So this one comes from Jason. Okay. So Jason says, out of curiosity, how would you rank Batman's writers of recent years on either Batman, Detective, Batman and Robin? Example, Snyder, King, Tanyan, Dixon, Miller, Tomasi, etc. Also, if you were going to recommend a writer slash run to someone as your definitive Batman, who would it be? And finally, who would you like to take over after King? Okay, um, so how would I rank the Batman writers over the past couple of years? So specifically talking about the Batman specific titles... I'm only going to mention the ones that had long runs. Um, so Snyder, Tynan, King. Mm, see, I, w- I wouldn't include uh, Hill because he only had five issues. Tomasi would be included because he was on Batman and Robin. Um, I wouldn't include Dixon because he's not recent. And you mentioned Miller, but he also isn't recent either. So... Um, Specifically, if we just talk about Batman and Detective Comics, we've got only a couple to choose from. Um, you've got, for Batman, you've got Snyder, obviously, and then you've got King. For Detective Comics, you've got Tynan, you've got Tomasi. I'm not going to count Hill or Robinson because they weren't on for an extended amount of time. Also, uh, why would we ever count Robinson? <laughs> yes, exactly. The uh, bef- During the New 52, there was a number of different people that were on um, Detective Comics. I know uh, Tony Daniel was on it in the very beginning. Um, let's see who else was on it. John Layman, uh, Tomasi had a run. Yeah, Layman. Uh, Manifold and Bucciletto had a nice yeah. long run. But who was on it at the very end? Tomasi. Was it Tomasi? Yeah. I think so. He was the one doing the Detective Gordon stuff. Okay. All right. So if if I'm ranking those, oof, I honestly I probably put Tynan at the top because I liked what he was doing and I liked the direction that he was going. Um, I put Tomasi below or just below him. Uh, but see, the thing is with Tomasi, I don't know that I would put him below because if we're just basing this off of work out of, you know, that and not his entire T of his, you know, work, then I don't know. I, okay. Top. Let's just do top three. I put Tynan top King and then Snyder. I have no ranking, but I guess I would agree with with that. Although I do, I think I like King a little better than Tynion, as far as Batman goes. Like, if you were going for the story they wrote and the family and the happiness that there was, then yes, it would be Tynion, King, and then Snyder. It's really hard for me to rank King or Tynion. I mean, so the top of my list would definitely be King or Tynion. Um, Tynion hits all my Bat Family notes. King mm-hmm. has challenged me as a Batman fan. He's made me think a lot about Batman in ways I hadn't um, before. Um, now, Snyder, as I mentioned, has has challenged me. I just don't like reading him very much, at least not since the New 52 started. I mean, if we're including Black Mirror, then Snyder's got to be up there. But if we're including Black Mirror, we also have to include Morrison, and I would argue you have to include Dixon and Miller as well. But if we're just going New 52, I'm going to have to say tie between King and Tynan and then Snyder... Uh, and then uh, I think I would say Tomasi's work on Batman and Robin. Uh, I don't I don't find his detective stuff particularly compelling, but his Batman and Robin stuff is definitely more powerful. So that'd be my ranking of the New Fifty Two and Rebirth Batman major writers. All right, and then 
your other the other part of the question was if you were going to recommend a writer a run to someone as your definitive Batman, uh, who would you do? Well, that's a good question. Um, to be completely honest, I don't know that I I don't know that I would sit there and say I have one specific definitive Batman writer that I would suggest over anybody else. I mean, dude's I mean, been around for eighty years. It's- Hard yeah, to and, yeah, exactly. That's the the biggest thing. And the problem is that most stories, there's a lot of writers who are on the books for a long period of time, but a lot of the stuff that doesn't ha- that happens prior to the seventies or even the, the eighties, um, a lot of that stuff is completely ignored when it comes to continuity. I mean, like some of it, you know, pops up here or there, like a villain reappears or something that was created back then, or you see the a version of Batman where they mention some crazy bat suit from the fifties or something. But like most of that stuff is, is very, really ignored from very early on. Um, so the thing is like, if you're, but then you have to look at, okay, so out of the characters or out of the writers who have worked on, Batman from like the main continuity run, which is like late eighties to the present, who, who has done the best job. Some of the stuff that I really, really like isn't necessarily part of, isn't necessarily like the mainstream continuity. Like for example, I really like the story of hush because of the, all the different elements that it, you know, connects to, but at the same time, Jeff Loeb only worked on that story, dark victory and long Halloween while really good. Don't they're kind of like, they stand. They obviously happen within continuity, or can happen within continuity, depending on your interpretation. But they're not. They didn't release as part of continuity at the time. So it's one of those things where it's like, uh, do you count that? The other part of it is like, obviously, Dixon has worked on a massive amount of of bat books over the years, um, and and can honestly touch any Batman character. And I think that he can do a decent job with any of them. And I think there's plenty of writers who can do a decent job with just Bruce Wayne, but whenever you have them start working with other characters within the bad family, they suddenly flounder and you don't know what the heck they're doing. So I think that like, and and this is a cop out and I admit it, but ultimately I don't think that there is one specific writer that I could say you have to pick this up. Um, you know, some that I really, really enjoy. I do enjoy Jeff Loeb. I do enjoy I do enjoy Chuck Dixon. I do enjoy Paul Dini. He's probably one of the ones that has worked on main continuity stuff um, on more than more than once. More recently, that uh, I really do like his stuff. I wish he would have you know another run on one of the books. Yeah, I guess that's where I'm at. Uh, I'm not going to really say one specific one because I think that the problem is like, it, it also depends on what you prefer. Like I prefer a lot of the bat family stuff. So that bat family stuff isn't always relevant or, you know, isn't always uh, important to somebody like Scott Snyder or Tom King. Like sure they have moments that involve the bat family, but a lot of the stuff that they do is not part of the bat family. So, or doesn't include the bat family. And that's, that that's a knock on, you know, my ratings or rankings for them is because I like that stuff. That's the stuff I look forward to. I like to see multiple classic villains used in unique ways. And I like to see members of the Bat family appearing. And the thing is like, while Tom King and, and Scott Sider have used characters from the Bat family and obviously classic villains, um, I, I prefer way more work over theirs when it comes to that stuff. So I think I'm still too new of a reader to really like have pinned down who 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 my Batman is. But 
Yeah, I do like a lot of those little classic stories that Jeff Loeb wrote, even though you were saying, you know, they're not, they weren't considered continuity time. They kind of are now. I don't know. I like, I like Batman as a detective. I do love his family, but, but anytime anyone writes a good detective story, I appreciate that. So whoever that would be. (laughs) I'm kind of odd when I read Loeb. I love all the artists he gets paired with. Um, I think he just works with really great artists and manages to set up stories for them that are really rich and um, full of event and incident and character. But I don't like his plotting at all, so he's never going to be in my top groups. Uh, My top writers are Frank Miller, even though I'm only counting year one, that's just so foundational for who Batman is for me. And then you have um, Dixon, just his work in the 90s really... When I think of Batman, it's it's really kind of Dixon's Batman. He's he's dark. He's super competent. Uh, he but he's not too tormented. He's able to really get things done and and have a reasonable relationship with most of his his Bat family members. Um, it's hard for me to make a judgment on which writers are really going to be foundational. I would say it's fair at this point to say Morrison's foundational. Um, just because he's still red and influential. I mean, he basically told both Snyder and King, you got to kill Batman, and both of them are <laughs> going to kill Batman. So Morrison's foundational, even if he's not my favorite run. It feels to me like Snyder sort of drew a bow on his run, and now he's just telling these Justice League stories plus Batman Who Laughs, which I still don't know how that's fitting into anything, but I guess we'll find out in two months. Um, and of course, King and Tynan, I love both of their runs, but they're not foundational. They're both building on the foundations of other people. And we'll have to wait and see how that shakes out in five to ten years. But yeah, it's, for me, it's really kind of Miller and and Dixon in that Denny O'Neill editorial era. And his last question was, finally, who would you like to take over after King? Well, that's that's an interesting thing. Um like I just said a little while ago, I wouldn't mind seeing Paul Dini come back and do an extended run. I'm not sure that I, I – it also obviously – I think a lot of it has to depend on which artist he gets to work – or which artist would work with him too. I mean like whenever I think of Paul Dini, I immediately think of Dustin Wen because that's what I remember from <laughs> his time on Detective Comics and his time on Streets of Gotham. And even obviously the short story that he just did in Detective Comics number 1000 um, – but that's not to say he couldn't work with other artists. It's just it would be interesting to see who they would get. I feel like Dustin Wen at this point in time is probably a little bit too skewed younger um, for a younger audience than what Detective or Batman is currently going for. I also don't think that they would go the route of Paul Dini um, after, after Tom King gets done. And to be fair... I don't I honestly I can't think of a whole lot of writers right now because to and I have to say this to be fair I don't know how many other I, I don't read a lot of other DC books that are inside outside of the Batman books. I can honestly tell you that out of the Bat books right now uh Tynan I would love to see do a run again, you know, come back to a Bat book, but I don't think that's going to happen until he gets done telling whatever stories he wants to tell in Justice League or until Scott Snyder stops using him to fill in issues of Justice League. Uh, no offense there. 
Um, but um, I mean, it's really like, obvious if you look at the solicits because Tynan's writing both of the July issues. Yeah, it's it's really bad, and I don't understand why it keeps happening. I mean, like for the most part, like I understand that Snyder is you know he's got stuff going on, but he keeps talking about on Twitter how he's got a lot of creator own stuff coming and they're bringing back American vampire and they're doing this. And I'm just like, but why is he on this other book that's happening twice per month? If they keep having issues filled in by somebody else. And I don't understand that, but DC wants his name. That's the same thing that we all know know when Snyder's on something. I know. And that's a discussion for another time because that could be a discussion all by itself. But anyway, um, so, I mean, I would love to see Dini. I would love to see Tynan um, as far as like somebody. You know, it's going to be Bendis, man. I, yeah, that's where I was going. I was going to say, I mean, like the thing is like looking at all the other books out there that are, that are publishing. Bendis is the only one that I could see taking over Batman and it's staying you know, at the same sales levels that it's currently at or even going up, which is obviously what DC would want is it to go and sell higher. Bendis is the most likely one. I'm not saying that I think that Bendis is the, the best option, um, but I feel like as far as DC is concerned, they're probably looking at Bendis and saying, well, it's not going to happen for at least two more years, which means at that point he'll have been on the Superman books for three years. He'll have been able to tell whatever story he wants to tell, and then he can go into you know, doing Batman if he wants. And it probably worked out perfectly when he first approached DC or DC first approached him about coming over and working for DC. Because as we know from interviews with Dan DiDio, he had said that they had worked with, or, you know, that they had offered him Batman and they expected him to take Batman, but he didn't want Batman right away. He wanted uh, Superman. So the thing is, because he ended up taking Superman, it probably worked out best for DC with the idea of, letting Tom King tell this 100 page or 100 issue story arc um, because then Bendis could potentially take over the book. So, I mean, that's most likely what will happen, but I can't honestly say like, like, well, I would love Tynan or or Dinny to come on to the book. I feel like they're probably going to go in, you know, a a new direction that's going to be different. And Bendis, while not necessarily super different, could present some, different aspects of the story, you know, storytelling that we're not seeing. Um, As far as any other writers out there, I can't speak to a lot. I don't necessarily want Joshua Williamson coming over. I'm just thinking about people I've read. The thing about Batman, the the people they put on the Batman title is let's look at what we've got. So we've got Tom King, we've got Scott Snyder, we've got Grant Morrison. That's the last 20 years of Batman. Um, Did you say 20? I think you meant 10. Well, so seven... When did Morrison come on? It was 2005, six-ish. So 15 years. Somewhere about there, yeah. About 15 years. And then you had Brubaker before that. And who was before? I think before Brubaker was Munch, but I'm not sure. But Logue was also in there, too. He was oh, right, because he did that whole year of Hush. Yeah. Um, but that was always sort of like a mini-series being published in Batman. Yes. Um, so the way... DC's picked Batman writers for the last three major runs, uh, Morrison, Snyder, and King. Uh, Morrison was a veteran who had just landmark runs for the previous 20 years. He'd, he'd, he'd been working forever. People loved him. And so he just came and did Batman. And it was super weird and it was very popular. And it, it did a lot of cool ideas. And then they picked Snyder 
Snyder had just started working indie um, stuff. He did a couple things for Marvel, and he did Black Mirror. Now, Black Mirror actually sold really badly, if you look at the numbers, but people loved it. And so they put him on the main Batman title, and he sold like gangbusters. Tom King did Grayson and Omega Men, so he was also sort of starting from indie um, and these smaller books. And again, they didn't do great numbers. Omega Man sold really badly, but people loved it. And so they put him on Batman, and he sold a lot. He's been a bit more controversial than Snyder, but I think Snyder had a fair amount of controversy, too. I think our problem is we're going to have to wait another several months to see what writers are perceived of as hot. Now, my problem is I'm looking at the writers on smaller titles, and I'm talking specifically about uh, Steve Orlando and uh, Cecil Castellucci, and um, let's see who else is doing smaller is like a newer creator. Uh, there's a couple others, but like, I guess Tony Patrick is also there, but Tony Patrick hasn't done mainstream work since he did Batman and the signal. So I really doubt that they're going to put him on there. Brian Hill, maybe, but I think he's too busy. I think he's also a little burnt out. Yeah. Um, I mean, he goes up and down. Um, one Steve that I Orlando think doesn't have the sales. People don't love Steve Orlando in the way they loved Tom King and Scott Snyder. Uh, you know, he has you, fans. Based off of what you're saying, you know what I, who I could so see, and especially something that's about to happen. Tom oh, yeah? Taylor. Tom Taylor. Mm. Yeah, and I say that because his injustice, his injustice series was really long, but people really enjoyed that because it lasted that's forever. True. And now they're doing Deceased, which Dan DiDio has said this was like some crazy idea that they pitched, but he pitched it in such a good way that they went ahead and did it. And it is already selling well enough because they're doing retailer variants multiple months. So Well, and also he did the Batman annual, so it's like they almost like were testing him out. So if yeah. it's not Bendis, mm-hmm. I could see it being Taylor. I don't really care either way on that one. I'm just – I'll probably enjoy both of them fine. Um but based on that analysis, I could really see a Taylor or, of course, a Bendis. Bendis is sort of like what we assume, but maybe he doesn't want to do it in two years. Could you see Priest on Detective? I mean, you know I want it. I, just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think DC's smart enough to put him on there. Because he's such a smart writer, and I feel like that's something missing from Detective Comics. Like, Well, he would really go into the detective stuff because yeah. he loves mysteries. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I, I could see that, but the problem is that Priest does work at Marvel, and I don't think that DC wants to have oh. anybody who's doing work elsewhere mm-hmm. on their main title. No, they want an exclusive on their yeah. big titles. Yeah. So that's part of the thing. Okay. And I know that Taylor's doing things elsewhere, too, right now, but that could change in the next two years. Yeah, two years. That wraps up that story or that question. Real quick, uh, a little bit of a discussion point that I wanted to bring up. You want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. Um, instead of a monkey watch this time around. So at WonderCon, it was announced that DC Universe, the streaming service, is launching a, ma- a massive addition to the, the service, which is they're adding their entire digital library. Now, um, what this has actually been confirmed as, um, it's not everything, but it's pretty freaking close to everything. So basically, DC over the years, and I know this because years ago, we used to have a ser- an article series on the website that would detail the new additions that DC had added to their, their digital library. To be clear, the way it works is obviously everything was originally in print as digital became more popular. DC started putting money towards 
digitizing comics, but they can only digitize so many per week, per month, whatever, per year. Um, there's only so many that they can digitize. However, there are there is a significant number of comics that they do digitize per week. Um, if you look at if you go on to Comixology, not on Wednesdays when normal comics release, but you go on there on Thursdays or Tuesdays, there's this like weird mix of new DC books that are, they, they say are new releases. Obviously, they've come out years and years and years and years in the past. But the reason they're new releases is because it's the first time they're available in digital format because they've just been digitized. So DC has been doing this and adding comics for years now because they started doing this, I want to say, right before the New 52. And for years, they have been adding at any given time, I think it's like 20 to 30 comics per week every single week. So the thing is, there's always new comics that are coming out. That being said, the they have amassed over 20,000 comics um, as part of the digital library. Now, like I said, it's not everything. So they're not saying it's everything because they still have to constantly keep digitizing things that haven't been digitized at this point. Obviously, a lot of the really popular stuff has already been digitized. I noticed that the week that one, uh, Detective Comics number 1000 came out, there was a huge group of Detective Comics issues that had been digitized and released for the first time. But basically, DC has said that the entire digital library that they currently have will be made available through the DC Universe service. In addition to that, um, well, the the other point that the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because recently Disney announced that they are starting their own streaming. Well, they had announced way before that they were going to have their own streaming service, but they recently just announced like this slew of contents that they're going to be doing original series, original uh, movies and things like that, that are going to be coming to the service. They also announced when it will launch, which is later this year in November um, here in America. And then it's going to be priced at six ninety nine, which is actually cheaper than the DC universe app. And what I wanted to talk to you guys about was um, Steph, I'm unaware if you subscribe to the service or not, but I know that Ian does, but knowing that, and, and I know that we are, all in some way a you know disney fans knowing that disney is coming out with a streaming service and to be clear while i uh, i know that dc universe is more than just a streaming service that's what it was originally marketed as and then the comics were kind of like this extra thing that was there now it feels like the comics are the answer because they don't have the ability to have a ton of original content so by making the comics available it gives an added bonus to keep people around because they don't have the ability to have multiple original series launching all the time. They have to do it, you know, one by one until they grow their subscriber count and have more, have more funds basically to have more series. Um, they had initially said that all of 2019, there will be a new, their, their, their plan is to have a new original series release an episode every single week. By 2020, they were hoping to do two per week. I don't know how much that's still going to happen because at this point they've de they've uh, delayed Stargirl premiering until 2020. But all of that being said, I wanted to get your guys' point of view. So DC Universe is like $79.99 per year. Disney Plus is going to be $69.99 per year. You'll have the library of Disney, uh, not the entire library, but a library of Disney movies, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, National Geographic, 
And you'll also get original series that for the first time will be available on the streaming service. When you put that in comparison to DC, which has one original series that's releasing weekly rather than, um, you know, like the Netflix style, is there a disadvantage or do you, do you see the DC universe having to make a massive change in the near future? Or do you think it's going to be just fine because of the comics that are being added? And the other part of the question is, do you feel like the comics are something that is actually worthwhile to have? I'm probably the worst person to ask this because I think I, I don't have cable. I have two streaming services that I that I go to, and it's uh, Funimation and <laughs> Rooster Teeth. So, um, and I'm not a big Disney fan. I mean, now that you know they have Star Wars or Marvel, that is a bit more of a draw. But I just don't think I would watch enough. Disney streaming service to even be interested in in applying for that. Also, I have this fear that anything digital or streaming is just going to disappear one day once the zombie apocalypse comes. So I want everything in hard copy. So I actually own all my DVDs that I own digitally as well, Um, as well as like my comics. I like to have them physically in front of me. So um, with comics, it's a little different because there may be something I'd want to read that that the only other way I could get get it is maybe a library. So I would be more inclined to to stick with 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 the DC universe because you know reading comic books is not something that you can legally you know get easy access to, whereas Disney movies is you know you could borrow them from a friend or you know go to Redbox or whatever and so there, there are ways to, to you know get movies or rent them on any any streaming service you can rent those movies for for you know money so I think the comics for me would be enough for DC to get me because if I just wanted to do some research or read some stories that I may not know if I want to buy necessarily, but I could just read them on a service, then that would, that would be good for me. I think DC, um, I'm, I'm actually really intrigued by the fact that DC launched this service when it did, because it is really countercultural. It's really, um, almost trying to copy a TV channel with having this one episode a week approach. But the way they're doing Titans, um, I've only watched a couple episodes of Doom Patrol, so I don't know for sure. But the way they did Titans, that felt like a show that wanted you to watch it at least in chunks of two or three episodes. It didn't feel like an episode a week type thing. So I've been on various online forums and found a couple employees of DC Universe, and they said DC did not expect people to be as excited about their comics on the service. And that's why they added them because people were really excited. They were getting a lot of social media activity, a lot of reading of the comics. And so they're like, well, let's do it. We have the ability. Um, I will be very interested to see how that works. Uh, They've said they've got a lot of things they want to add functionality to really uh, build the community. So the ability to share lists of comics, because these are all going to be single issue comics. They're not going to be trade collections. So users can make lists and they're hoping to make those shareable, which would be really cool. Cause then you could say, I want to read all the issues of, you know, a character like the hush. So you, you'd have all these issues of hush and it'd be in a list. You could just go down the line and just keep reading mm-hmm. and stop and start when you want. Um, I am, very excited about this uh, because there's a lot of stuff I've been wanting to read, like the question, and I want to reread some of like old Chuck Dixon Robin to, to get some research. Um, I think it's a great idea. I, I'm i not sure whether it's going to 
be long-term enough to sustain and grow the platform because digital comics is still limited by the number of tablet users. Um, I, I think I agree with what I think Dustin said a couple of months ago, which is that I expect Disney uh, DC to be folded into the WB streaming platform as one of the levels. Um, I still think that's probably going to happen. So, my take on this is I, I think it's going to go two ways. And I think that ultimately this Disney thing is going to prompt a lot of changes w- within the industry of the direction of streaming and things like that, because Disney, Disney has the ability and the resources to undercut the price months before they even announced what the price was going to be or when they were going to launch. The CEO of Disney was saying that he expected it to be cheaper than Netflix. And he wasn't kidding because it's going to be six ninety nine per month for 4k streaming, which is minimum of, I think like 1299 over at Netflix um, for 4k or ultra HD or whatever, whatever they call it. But the thing is, I think that um, it's putting some things in perspective. Warner has announced, you know, that they're planning on doing their streaming service, but because they are not Disney, they're not going to be as, upfront about everything right away. And I honestly don't like, even though they said that they were planning on releasing it in late 2019, I don't honestly see that happening. I think it's probably going to wait till 2020 because the, the biggest thing with Warner brothers is Warner brothers has always been a powerhouse when it comes to a production company for uh, content, when it comes to TV shows, a lot of the most popular TV shows over the past couple decades have been Warner brothers, you know, Warner brothers is the company behind them. Um, and then Warner Brothers makes a lot of television shows for other channels like CBS or NBC or or Fox or whatever. They make a lot of shows for other channels because they don't have, you know, their own channel. They used to have, I mean, they have a uh, they have a stake in CW, but they share that with CBS actually. So the thing is, the whole point of me saying this is, I think that ultimately Warner is going to have an issue because a lot of the shows that they have that they've created, they have a lot of those shows tied up with other deals. You know, all the CW shows are tied up with deals with Netflix. Um, Friends, which is one of the most popular series is tied up on Netflix right now. A lot of the shows that are going to be really big shows that are going to potentially make it worth it to have the Warner service is going to be, they're going to be tied up for the foreseeable, you know, for the immediate future, I should say. So because they're, they're tied up, they have to have other, other things. So in order for them to make it successful, they have to figure out a way to compete with Disney. They have plenty of movies. They have, you know, their, their movie library is just as big as Disney, if not bigger, actually. I mean, the only questionable part of it is because Fox just got absorbed by Disney. They might have Mm. a bigger library now, but Warner Brothers has a pretty extensive movie library and a pretty extensive back library of content when it comes to all of the the acquisitions that they've made over the years. But the thing that I'm interested in is I feel like DC Universe is going to, by the end of the year, when they eventually announce whatever is going to happen with the Warner Media service, I honestly think that DC Universe is going to split and they're going to be there's going to be two tiers essentially of what you can have and i think that there's going to be like a 3 or 4 dollar tier which is basically you just get access to the the media aspects meaning like the television shows and the 
um, original content. And that will be directly related to the Warner because that'll be an add on thing for like three or $4. Probably I would, I would say three because that's what I expected to go because there's not a ton of original content, but at the same time, $4 seems more likely, but $4 to add on to it to the Warner media. And then you get the, the other stuff. I honestly see the other part of the service, which is the fan side, like Ian was talking about and the comics to actually be the second tier, which is more of like a premium tier and that price to actually go up. So instead of it being seven ninety nine per month, I feel like it's going to go up to maybe $10. And I think their explanation behind that is, well, Marvel Unlimited exists and costs $10 per month and offers this massive library of comics. We're offering you a massive library of comics, but we're also offering you the original content and the media, which Marvel doesn't offer you. So that's, that's where I think this is going because the thing is like, I'm looking at it from this perspective, quite honestly, I don't use the comics on, on uh, DC universe. And the only few times I've ever gone into any of the, the other aspects of the DC universe app outside of, you know, um, just watching new episodes of Titans. I've watched a couple episodes of, of, uh, of Doom Patrol. I've actually held off on watching Young Justice until the second half of the season releases. I don't find it to be really cost effective. Ultimately, I, I, I subscribe to the service because I want to see, you know, I want to see the new stuff. But like the added addition of the comics, it, that's not something that I'm super interested in. I've got a massive collection of comics that I've amassed over years and years and years. I was about to say, you're like your own DC universe with your collection already. So, and that's the thing, like, so that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to is like, I, the comics, sure. Would it be nice to be able to read a bunch of comics that I have not read? Sure. But I don't have the time to, to do that. So I barely have enough time to sit down and watch television episodes when they release. So, I mean, the thing is like, I, that that's not something that appeals to me. And I think the problem is that like the comics, while it's a great addition and I applaud them for doing it, and them, you know, saying that they're trying to be more geared towards the fan interaction and they're really pleased with the fact that there's a lot of fans posting on the, the, the community forums and things like that. Great. But that's not why I subscribe to the service. Subscribe to the service for the original content and the, the stream of original content that's coming out is such a slow, slow rate that I think that it's going to end up dropping a lot of people off. And that's a that's a concern for them. So I feel like it's going to go into you know, branch in two different directions. It'll be an add-on service that you can add where you can just get that original content. And then there'll be this other aspect, which will include all of the comics, which will be a huge thing for the people who actually want it. And while it sucks for the people who actually want that stuff, they'll have to pay a couple dollars more. It makes more sense for the people who aren't utilizing it to not just completely drop the service, but be able to spend just a little bit less money. And I think that things are going to change because a, a lot of people who subscribe for a year at the time, their year is up in you know this fall. And I think that things are going to, things are going to be announced before I think the fall. So that that's, that's my prediction at this point. The other thing that could happen is that Disney could add Marvel unlimited to their streaming plus service. You know, I, I thought about that, but I don't see that happening. And I, and I say that because of a few inside things um, talking with people who I know who work with Marvel and Disney stuff. And I think that Marvel comics by itself 
while Disney loves Marvel Entertainment, I think Marvel Comics is kind of like they just let it do what it does and they don't really it's not something that they're like they're not looking they don't look at comics as this thing of this is a huge profit market that we need to tap into because if you if you've watched just the stuff that Disney owns and how it's been farmed out to a variety of different companies over the past couple of years they don't care they they used to have their own Disney used to have their own comic publishing branch before Marvel. They no longer have it. Now every other, all these other independent companies, they license the stuff out to because it's more profitable for them to license it out than it is for them to actually produce the stuff themselves and and sell it themselves. So I don't think that they're as concerned about that. I also think that they're looking at this as trying to compete with Netflix and Netflix is me is all about the media. It's not about the mm-hmm. let's read some stuff on an app. So I don't, I honestly, I don't see that happening. You know, I could be wrong. Guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. All right. Wait so that is this episode of the Batman Universe comic podcast. As I said earlier, I'd love to hear your guys's responses on whether or not you enjoyed the new way we did greater Gotham. Also, if you have any other comments or discussion points you'd like us, like us to talk about in the next episode, be sure to leave your comments wherever you're listening to this podcast whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, um, on the site, on our Discord, which you have, if you haven't joined, I strongly suggest you do. Um, I, I, I greatly encourage you to leave your comments because I make sure to, and then obviously if you're leaving them on Facebook or or, uh, or YouTube or, or Twitter, you just be sure to tag us wherever you're leaving the comments, and then we will be sure to actually leave those comments or port those comics over comments. Ugh we will be sure to port those comments over to the episode so that we cover them on the next episode. With that being said, I want to encourage you to head over to the site to check out all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. Also, uh, be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer because we have tons of podcasts. There's new episodes of, Batman Books, The Dark Knight Pros, Back of the Oracle, Bat Books for Beginners, um, Bat, The Bat Fans, Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, Everyone Loves Young Justice. There's new episodes of all the shows that we have, so be sure to check those out. Um, and like I said earlier, if you're looking for even more content, consider supporting us on Patreon. And you'll open up a huge group of other content that we have as well. So with that being said, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this is Dustin. This is Steph. This is Ian. You've been listening to the Bad Mirrors Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.